episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by McNally Robinson's mini Comic-Con event, October 19th from 1 till 5. Bring your kids, bring your friends. It's going to be a fun time. Go to McNallyRobertson.com for details. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. Hello, this is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. This is a very special post-New York City Comic Con episode uh, starring Justin Curry and our producer. You want me to say my name now? Yes. Dan. Um, you realize you start every episode by saying it's a very special one? Yeah. What's special about this, is this one? This a mediocre episode <laughs> there we go. super Prepare to be science. whelmed. <laughs> There'll be some willing. You guys are terrible. Um, <laughs> you just got back after a harrowing 3 a.m. flight. It's yeah. important for the listeners to know that you're basically still asleep, that you haven't really rested since arriving back from New York. But I've been back uh, a whole day. I came early. You stayed to have fun and show and, your But you were out there longer. You weren't there the week so before? So I've been gone 10 days. Okay. I went out five days before the Comic-Con. Um, Went traveling around with my girlfriend, and we had a great time in New York. And then it was four days of the craziest convention of the year. And then my family, my little brother and mom came in to help me with the convention. So the Monday after the convention, we stuck around an extra day to because my little brother's never been to New York, and my mom likes New York, so we And I will around. say this to you, Dan, that I got this really cute text from Justin's dad on the first day, mm -hmm. basically asking for a photo of his family, uh, I think, to prove that they were still alive because they hadn't texted him to let let him know. I got a cute text from so. you saying, <laughs> wish you were here, and it shows like the, the set piece they had set up for the uh, the Expanse yeah, of the Rocinante. Yeah. And I'm like, man, you're just, you're just making me jealous. It's you had a very, um, a very insightful follow-up comment when I sent you those pictures saying wish you were here you said is this the modern postcard and I guess really it is that's yeah. what a postcard was right? for right yeah wish you this is where I am right now yeah. wish you were here wish you were here to experience this but you're not <laughs> so all you get is this stupid picture no it was very cool yeah. what was what was the setup for the before we get to your stuff what was the setup for the expanse so the expanse was set up in the exact same space that the Good Omens uh, bookstore was set up last year. Okay. Um, and it was an activation. So for people not familiar with like con lingo, an activation is basically like a set piece or an experience that someone can come in and see and, and be activated as a fan. That's literally what the idea is. <laughs> okay. And what's interesting about activation pieces that are done really well at shows like that from a marketing standpoint they don't say in big bold what they are so the good omens bookstore for example didn't have a giant sign that said good omens it was just this really cool looking occult bookstore and when you got close enough to examine it you realized oh that's what it's for same thing with the expanse it looked like the opening of clearly a spaceship sci-fi set and it had oh, uh, Rasa Dante okay. right across the top but if you weren't an expanse fan you learned about the expanse by investigating the spaceship. Yeah, right? which is cool because they, they want more people to, especially now that it's launching on Amazon yeah. uh, in December. So with the new seasons coming, it, it's it's on Amazon right now, which I'm yeah. rewatching. But uh, the new seasons in December, and I'm very excited about it. New York, um, York Comic Con is uh, attention warfare. They also de debuted Batwoman, and they had right. like a Q and A yeah. with the actors and directors right after. Yeah. And Titans, I think, like they got the first sneak peek. Season oh, two, first sneak Season peek two. A whole bunch of stuff. Robert Kirkman's new uh, uh, Super Dinosaur first episode they showed there. Oh, wow! Um, like just some, but like I said, it's attention warfare. That is what New York Comic Con is. Um, and we've said before on the show, different than San Diego Comic Con because it's more publisher focused. People are looking for books 
book deals, editors, artists, writers. As far as lining up work, now that you've been to both, what would you say you got better contacts and more projects from? With San Diego or New York? San Diego, I have, and I'm still following up with a ton of media contacts. Um, But, you know, after five days in New York, I think I lined up a year worth of work writing and illustrating things. Yeah, it was, so different types, so more... Very different, yeah. Yeah. One is like, at San Diego, if you have existing properties you've got some experience and some money under your belt then you can go into some of those rooms and meetings and line some things up but it's hard if you're a nobody because everyone there is a somebody right doing something um but new york comic-con there's still like a hunger for discovering a new person a new talent a new it's just it's part of the culture there and so you can be a nobody as long as your work is good they don't have to have heard of you but when they see the work then uh, some doors open. And that's how you got the uh, baby metal deal? That is where I got the New baby York? metal yeah, okay. project. That's yeah. where I got hooked up with uh, Marvel. Marvel as yeah. well and Hasbro. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if you're, you know, it is an expense. Okay, so that, you know, this podcast is supposed to be helping people <laughs> do what we do. It's really expensive to travel to New York. It's really expensive to What's, stay in New York. It's expensive yeah. to get a table Actually, in New York. Actually, flying to New York is dirt cheap. Actually, that's the only part yeah. that's cheap. Okay. I think I was, Every plane goes to New York at some point. It was just yeah. over $300 for my flight, which yeah. is wow. one of my cheapest flights of the year. Yeah, mine too, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, at, for the average hotel, if you go through the, like, if you become an exhibitor and go through their exhibitor portal for their hotels, they, you know, they rent out blocks of hotels, so you get a cheaper rate. Well, cheaper rate in Manhattan is like two sixty to two eighty a and night I, yeah, American, American yeah. which is well over three hundred Canadian. Yeah, um, for, for a night. And so, then the table costs as well. I I think they're high. Yeah. They're yeah. High. Well, you, I mean, and you're paying for the traffic. But there's a couple of things that are important to point out. Yes, you can get cheaper accommodations across both bridges. That's true. Yeah, you have to add time to your commute, but though, you right? Add so much time to your commute. So. While it is true that there are cheaper ways to stay in New York City, I still advise if you're planning to stay and the reason you're going is to make connections, you don't want to be making connections with the person sitting next to you on the subway. You want to make connections with the person at the show. So it might be worth that time versus money argument is at play. Um, And you can go without a booth. You know, you can just go to the show with your, your portfolio. With and your por- what you well, do? yeah, you don't want to really walk around with your portfolio. Like I had an interesting scenario at this show because I was there with this um, uh, company called Comic Stream, uh, which is launching a new comics-based app, and I'm allowed to talk about it now because it's they debuted. They did sort of okay. a soft launch. They did they they showed their beta system while they were at New York Comic Con. And it was really interesting because it was not, hey, sign up for our app or, hey, this is a way for us to uh, cash in or make money or, or generate any income. They were absolutely just there to test a large group's response to how the app functioned. And they recorded. They would, they would have people come in and if they were interested in checking it out, like, hey, these are some new comics we have on this new um, uh, web-based service. Do you want to check it out? Do you mind if we record your hands as you navigate the app? It's in beta, and so we would like to gather actual, mm. you know, hands-on, for <laughs> lack of a better word, data. And that was a really interesting thing. When people figured out that they had a chance to be part of the conversation, or oh, it changed their engagement from, oh, you want something from me, like, oh, I got to sign up for something, whatever. No, there was no strings attached. We just really want your honest feedback. And people who hated the app, dug right into how and why like you know where the pause was why the pause was and people who loved it also had really strong feedback so it was really neat and i would say both of those groups of people will probably be more invested in it when it actually comes to market and um and they're more likely to try it out when it actually is available on the app store for them right like oh yeah i had some input into this so they'll be more likely to uh to buy and recommend it to friends, probably. Well, and you know, it wasn't part of any kind of guerrilla marketing strategy, but people would, the people who were really into it, immediately were like, can I download this right now? How do I get this? And telling them, no, it's, <laughs> it's not available yet. Sucks. This is just us. Yeah. Turn them, I think, into instant, like, they were on the team because not only were they helping, 
but they knew that that feedback was going into the launch. And I'm sure they, to, they gathered their email address so that uh, uh, they yeah, but again, email them was, when the company comes. It available. was only it was by it was by volu- it was voluntary, right? So okay. if they wanted to be, then there was another step. So they could give their feedback. They could that we could record them interacting with it, and if they cared enough to get follow up information, that was a that was further into the conversation. Yeah. It wasn't just like sw- gathering up everybody's information, which was a really neat, really neat thing for me. Tracy, send a radio signal for 15 minutes. If you push it, we can track you on radar. Just like Leningrad. Justin just passed me a piece of information, but he should be the one to break it to you. Total well, the, attendance of the show? The, well, you were there last year. Uh, last you year s- I was. Wasn't? No. You skipped last we year. Talk, I think. We, I'm sure we have record of it somewhere on the podcast. Yeah. You no, you were. Last year was when they bumped you to the anime. That's right. Thing. Yeah, you were there for Baby Metal. But the last year before yeah. I was not, because so, I was working on Baby Metal, and then okay. Baby Metal launched. So I was there. Last Good year seemed had like wonky attendance because they were doing this thing where you couldn't buy a four day pass; you could only buy individual days. So everybody was trying to buy, like you know. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like they had to buy four separate purchases to be there the whole weekend. And it felt like it was weird. Thursday was like the busiest day. So it really threw off the whole dynamic of like the show because it's like Thursday is usually the slowest. So that was like the baseline. Oh my God, it's just going to get crazier from here. And then it didn't. It like tapered down from Thursday. So it was really weird. And I didn't didn't quite like it. I wasn't used to that. Um, this year, it was just crazy all four days. Like it was wall to wall, like sea of people, nonstop. I think Saturday was like maybe one of the slower days, and that's just by comparison, it's still nuts. Yeah. Um, I just looked up because I was kind of curious. New York and San Diego are always competing for attendance. They are always, like, as soon as they have their numbers, they're shouting them from the rooftops because they want to beat the other, right? And they're always back and forth. They're always one-upping each other. I just looked up the 2019 New York Comic-Con attendance. They said they sold over 200,000 tickets. Okay. So that's... That's way up. That's from 160, I thought, was last year, something around there. Wow. Now, part of that is a numbers game, I'm sure, because a ticket for Saturday and a ticket for Sunday both count. Yeah, I'm okay yeah. with that. I'm okay with that. Um, you know, it's just as long as you're clear about how you're measuring it, I'm, I'm yeah. you know, it's very difficult with these events to quantify, you know, how many people are actually there at any given time, yeah. right? Because yeah. you don't know. There's no way to just do a head count of everyone in the building. So as long as you're upfront about how you're counting things, I'm okay with them saying, yeah, we're just going to track tickets. Like we just track, for mine, we just track uh, wristbands. Yeah. There's how many wristbands we gave out. That That's the same as, yeah. and that includes, I mean, we're also including people who got complimentary tickets, but they're a body in the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not about sales necessarily. It's just about attendance. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I'm okay. Yeah. That's, that's huge. That's 200,000. What's San Diego? It was 160 or 170, I think. But I think that was. I'll I'll look it up. You talk yeah. about something okay. else. Okay, I'll talk about something else. So <laughs> let's let's imagine that you are asking yourself, um, should I go to San, to New York Comic Con? Should I attend a show like this? And why should I do so? I think it's really important that we be clear that Justin and I had different reasons for attending and different modes of operating at the show, and we can talk both. I think specifically to that. Um, Justin had a 10 by 20 booth. He has a huge amount of product. He has a, he's developing a fan base there and he brought things to, um, give to the direct consumer, right? Skip all the middleman. Here I am. I'm my own distributor. Mm -hmm. Here's 200,000 people. Do you want any of this? (laughs) Right? A good portion of them will. And many of them (laughs) did. I went because New York Comic Con is the center for all those other things I talked about, mm-hmm. right? Um, nothing is better for you if you are working with a company than meeting everyone at that company, right? And letting them all know what you're capable of doing, especially especially if there are things you think you can do that they don't know about. And there's nothing worse than sending an email talking about how great you are and you could fix their company if only you would, you know, just let me do this, this, and this, and we'll be great. But an organic way of meeting with people who are heads of those departments and saying and having a conversation about what you're actually capable of, where your real knowledge is, and let 
how you can be a bigger part of what's going on, kind of bubble up at over the tabletop is invaluable, mm-hmm. at least for me, because I'm, I'm not just one thing. And it can be very hard if you're just an illustrator, just a writer, just a, you know, just a producer. People don't want you to be anything more than just that one thing that you were hired for. And it can be really hard to introduce them to the idea that you're, you've done more, that you're capable of more, and that here you are ready. So I, I went there with that idea that I'm gonna sit down with the Z2 people. I had brought a project, they brought me in on a project, and I have a project, a secret project, that I think they're the best fit for as a distributor and as a publisher. How do you recommend people start those conversations, though? Because, right, most people, yeah, you can attend a Comic-Con and try to have those meetings. I always recommend, like, setting up at a show and breaking in um, by letting people see what you can do. (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) Uh, But like, how do you, yeah, yeah. like how did Z2 saw you set up? That's how you got in with them. That's how I got in with them. They saw the work they did. And we spent four days, five days together in the craziest show. And I think they saw, you know, and my wife was, Tara was the secret weapon, honestly, with Z2. Yeah. um, Because uh, she is a litmus test against bullshit in the, in the, in most situations. And she liked the guys there at Z2. And she's like, I don't know anything about them, but you know, they invited us out for dinner, not business related. I think we should go with them. It'll be fun. And that turned into the next thing, right? Um, How do you cold call you don't. into that? Yeah. So here's the, um, so shout out to uh, Christopher uh, Miskewicz. I don't know if I'm saying your name right, Christopher, but uh, he was my psychopomp for the evening uh, Saturday night. So uh, for those of you not familiar with Greek mythology, a psychopomp's job is to be your guide through the underworld. Mm. And so <laughs> after the Z2, just the amazing dinner that we went out to with the Z2 crew, Chris said to me, why don't you come with me? And it's like around 1 a.m. at this point. He says, why don't you come to me to the Marvel party? I'm going there after. I know some people there. I've done some work there. Come with me. And I said, well, I don't want to be like a hanger on or a, you know, I don't want to be the clinger. I'd like to go. And he says, well, there's two things. Number one, because of the time, the way the Marvel party works is that um, when it starts, the upstairs of the bar, only Marvel writers, artists, you have to work for Marvel to be allowed upstairs. And the lower level of the bar, anyone can go, but they're not allowed up. It's, cla- it's upstairs, downstairs, it's a class <laughs> system. And that a certain sort of tolling of the bell mixes and everyone is allowed to mix he says so we're right at the time where we can watch everybody scramble up the stairs desperately trying to meet the people that they hope will make their career that'll be fun he says let's go watch that (laughs) right and you know he is a uh i got to know chris pretty well over the course of that evening and he is a just the sharpest sense of humor but he was absolutely right we went there right at the time when this big like mix-up was happening and this speaks to your question of like how do you make that conversation i think the key is you shouldn't be there to have an artificial conversation because chris and i both were kind of like well we don't want to be that we stood off and sort of in our own little corner and just like we're having a great time we were laughing, we were talking about stuff, we were talking about stuff outside of comics. We both have secret other lives outside of comics, so we were talking about those things. And as a result of us looking like we were having a great time, all these people tried to meet us instead. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that that was Because you weren't trying, they just assumed they you were- They assumed a, we yeah. must, you know, ergo, they must be important. Since they aren't trying to meet anyone, they must be someone that you should meet. Um, and also, then, Greg's a bit of a fancy dresser, so people, <laughs> I think that adds to the illusion as well that you're important. If you have an ascot on, yeah, people will assume. <laughs> but uh, then the other thing, too, is um, people who were naturally knew each other through the business get to know, Chris gets to know what kind of stuff I'm doing. He knows my work from Baby Metal. He, he works with C2. He's the writer of their, um, of their new Grateful Dead graphic novel. Mm. Um, no slouch whatsoever there. And so we were talking about what it's like to engage with cultural icons, musical icons in a way that's supposed to distill their work. So we had a lot of the same kind of 
you know, problem is the last, it's not really the right word, but the same challenges that we had to overcome. Um, and his went a lot differently than mine. Yeah, I imagine. Um, so we were just really engaged in like comic book stuff. Uh, and so all these people started sort of floating around and realizing like, these guys are having a good time and they don't need anything from anybody. And so some of them, and I won't name names here, but a good number of A-listers from Marvel Comics then as a result of finally seeing a conversation that was underway that was neutral, not about the business, floated over to us and hung out with us as a result. So by not trying to meet these people, we met them. Okay. Just by it's sort like playing of, hard to get. It kind of. <laughs> and that wasn't like any kind of strategy. Yeah. But it was interesting to observe that... Um, if you seem desperate, you'll be treated that way. Mm -hmm. And if you seem a little bit aloof, then you'll be treated like someone, you know. Um, Sridhar got advice. Uh, he's uh, one of the creative directors, basically, at Z2. He worked with Jim Jarmusch, who is a, is a filmmaker that many Canadians will know well. But he was given a piece of advice long ago that he told me and that I think is good for our listeners to know that when you need uh, money, you should ask for advice. And when you need advice, you should ask for money. <laughs> That's good. Right? And that those things are more or less always true. I told you I wasn't a fool. Call me Snake. You can't work the show like I did and make the contacts like Greg did and be a functioning human being at the I, same time at, at the, the same, same time, time. yeah, yeah i don't choose. you have to pick and choose yeah <laughs> don't think so that, does that mean that nobody both. at that party was doing what justin was doing they were Correct. all there okay they were all there for the same purpose that you were there Correct. Yeah. okay and then justin was sleeping in bed i was there for o'clock yeah i was there for business i was there to expand my company <laughs> yeah. in different That's ways right. than, yeah. Yeah. well you were doing it through direct access to the fans and mm -hmm. these you know myself and these other people who are there are are doing it with direct access to editors and to yeah, yeah. and I have a um, you know I made a list of sort of eighteen proper follow ups that I have to make six of which I believe to be um, made of something real but sometimes that eighteen it's something sometimes it's a surprise well that's, yeah. that's still like one third of the contacts you made the the decent contacts you made are you're pretty confident it's going to turn into something. Yeah. That's what that now, means. it's important to point out that of those 19 that I sort of made my list out of for following up, um, you know, I still met, uh, I had 150 other cars right, right, right. really weren't a good fit. They were just not things that were reasonable for me to follow up based on what I want. And that's another really important thing. You should go into the show with a clear vision of what you want, but it should be a broad one. Mm. Yeah. Not like I want to work on Batman, but wouldn't it be great to work on a crime noir series? Yeah, shotgun. Right? You're still shooting in the one direction, but it can't be ultra-specific or you're not going to be able to find it. Right, okay. Right? Yeah. You kind of put your sails up and let the wind fill it. Mm -hmm. The uh, the Printed in Blood booth was there. Oh, that was so cool. What? So three, three years ago at the New York Comic Con, I was walking through and there was a tiny, like, little six-foot table, like, in the middle of the show... And I can't remember what they had at their table, but it was enough to make me stop. I think they had, they had some cool John Carpenter artwork at the table. So I stopped and we started chatting and they told me about this project they had coming up and they, they don't know if it's going to actually make it or not, but they wanted to do this John Carpenter, the thing art book with a bunch of different artists. And I'm like, Oh my God, I love that movie. Like, and I had, I learned a, a while ago that if you're walking the floor, bring business cards, or in my case, I have an art book as well, which is as good as, as a portfolio, but even a bit better because it's professionally bound and stuff. So as soon as these guys said they were working on a thing book, I showed them my art book and they gave me a card and uh, I followed up the next week and I was able to submit my artwork and get published in what became the thing art book that blew up way beyond anybody's expectations. Yeah, also, yeah. somewhere along these lines, they asked if I knew any other artists that might be involved, and so Gregory was near the bottom of the list, but 
I told him about it. I uh, got and some crumbs off the curry plate. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see what your piece up there. Where's yours, Justin? Do you have yours up here? I don't have mine okay. up on the studio wall. I but... always leave mine up and I take his down whenever he puts uh-huh. it down. <laughs> it's on that, where that empty hook is right there. Yeah. That's where it was. Yeah. That yeah. Um, but so, this, this was a project that I think they thought was going to be like a little soft cover art book and turned into this hard cover, like 300 page tome of amazing it's huge yeah no i yeah. saw it. it was here i think it was here when it got delivered yeah, yeah. So fast forward they reached out to guillermo del toro and they're working on a book with him they firefly was just firefly announced was just announced. Ooh, they're doing a firefly nice. book. Um, and they had a 10 by 20 end cap at new york it was kind of funny to see like their, their little company and then their big company they also and made a point of going around like the two main guys went around to every artist that was involved with um, like past or upcoming projects and put in some FaceTime. So nice. Yeah, it was they really came great. by the table so to chat. So their big project this year was they had done the Stranger Things art book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the comic stream booth was right next door to where the Stranger Things booth was selling against uh, HarperCollins. Uh, Delray? We should look that up. I'm sorry that I don't know. But that is who the main distributor is of the book. And so it was Delray, had, yeah. They had the big uh, ziggurat of those books. And watching people interact with this thing, of which, you know, we have a single page each in it. But just to be a part of this, like, sheer joy. Mm-hmm. You know, like some people, there's a lot of people that will say, oh, you know, it's fan servicing, it's just cashing in or whatever. If you knew the guys from Printed in Blood and you knew the literal blood and sweat that they put into <laughs> getting this together, like wrangling hundreds and hundreds of submissions, you don't want that job. It is not. That's not fan servicing. That is like excavating. It's archaeology is what it is at Mm -hmm. that point. And they put this amazing thing together. And then, like Justin said, went around and they had pre-prepared these placards so that artists that were involved in any way, like a single page, single image, they would put it up at your booth so that it would say, you know, this person worked on the Netflix thing and it's this book and this is where else you can find it. And aren't they great? Kind of like it was... It was a little thing at a very big show. Having the Netflix logo at your booth was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's something we all, it's a brand we all interact with every day. Uh, And so did you have your prints on sale there for the, for the Stranger Things? So I didn't have my stuff on sale. I was a floater. Um, But I did. And I, uh, so I printed out my own little thing. You're, you're allowed to sell 200 of the prints. But it has to be uh, accompanied by a, this little plaque saying this is a Netflix right. uh, exclusive. Um, so I had that with the print. But then they also came around to all the artists and they, yeah, like Greg said, handed out this little uh, eight and a half by 11, like really professionally done little placard with the stand. And so I had two of those and it definitely, um, that piece flew. It was good. Yeah. And so that's, a t- you know, like for those of you who are thinking, oh, I could do an anthology project or whatever. This is a literally a your laundry list of things to do to keep the people who are involved in it excited. And like, you know, we just spent 10 minutes talking about a book that we have a (laughs) tiny piece in, right? Because they engage with us as people, not just as some commodified art. And you do get a free copy of the book. So those will be shipped out, I believe, next week. They were saying they were, yeah, pretty much New York was the launch of the book and they got them expedited just in time for the New York show which is always the best way to get books, right? Like yeah. last <laughs> minute for time. that huge event. <laughs> um, and so is it, but is this going to be a book anyone can purchase anywhere? Yes. Yeah. Like Available, on Amazon yeah. or, or yeah. bookstores yeah. or whatever? Available yeah. where all books are sold. Books are sold. Okay. Because, yeah. yeah, you guys can't sell the book. You can just sell your prints. Mm. But if somebody wants to buy the Correct. book. Well, we could buy. We could have bought. Oh, you can buy into the run? The, the reason why we wouldn't is because They're for us huge. it's so big. There's just, and you're a small part of it. You're not, sh- really. and we're a small part of it. And the shipping on a thing like that for us to take to shows, like having a few extra copies, you know, for your friends and family, that's one thing. But if you're wanting to use it as a, a leverage, a monetary leverage, the effort of moving these enormous things in bulk would just be too yeah. much. And, and it's, it's kind of a cool thing. Again, you, you have this experience with the thing book and that people are going to go around to shows and collect signatures. So you have people come up to you. Hunt, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you come up. People come up to you with that book and said, yeah. "Please sign your your work yeah. here." At one point uh, in Chicago, after the thing book came out, I had a lineup twenty deep of people having me sign that book, which is like that's crazy, <laughs> right? It just it just goes to show like the fandom of these these properties um, 
it, it's another way in which people can express their love of these things. And and the thing is such a good, I don't know, why, why do you think they're so surprised at the response to that? Because I think, I don't know anybody who doesn't love that movie. Um, if you're a fan of horror, um, that movie it ranks up there as far as like the, one of the greatest so modern lot, films of all time. A lot of people have tried things similar. They oh, had okay. high hopes, but they were definitely like, I, I seem to recall like they were, they, they weren't giving their hopes up. Like, they were giving it their all, but they really didn't know if this was going to go anywhere or if it was going to mm. be a and disaster made, or what. At least from my perspective, as a legitimate love of yes. the film. And right. they're going to do this because someone should was kind of their idea. And you need that kind of grit, honestly, to keep going in publishing. Um, and the only way a book like that succeeds of that size and magnitude is because the pre-orders are solid. Um, uh, the guys have agreed to come on the podcast and talk about how the oh, yeah. was made yeah. after New York Comic Con sort of dust settles. So we're going to uh, do a call in with them. Sure. And again, because they're so excited by the book project, I want to talk to them about that excitement, like the stuff that gr- what that grid is made of is okay. what I really want to talk to them about. Cool. Less so about how getting a license, we know how to do that. Well, I mean, and then now that they've proven the, the formula works, you know, they're doing Stranger Things, they're doing Firefly, they're actually able to kind of tie into... Stranger Things is, is like a current franchise that yeah. is currently running. Firefly is, is somewhat defunct, as is uh, the thing. They just announced yesterday. What did they announce yesterday? Uh, Animated series? Uh, Wash and Mal both did a video for Indiegogo saying, hey guys, you want us to do a Firefly? Movie or season? Well, whatever they have. The, you want us to do a Firefly? They're doing. They're doing <laughs> ten, three ten-minute episodes, as a proof of concept, and they reached out. They put in a whole bunch of their own money, apparently, and then well, for okay, final production. Spoiler alert: Wash died. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, is but, this a prequel or what are we doing here? Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Wow, because man. there was that great prequel episode where he has an awesome mustache. Remember watching? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yes, that's right. I would, I would watch anything <laughs> to do with that mustache. All right. Wow, Snake Plissken. All right. What you doing in here with a gun, Snake? Looking for somebody. So I helped two New Yorkers meet for the first time, hmm. and I feel very, you know, it feels like special sometimes when you can be the person that finds two people in a city of that many people help them find themselves. Um, I, it was after the Comic Stream Mixer, where I got to meet Gail Simone and tell her how much I admire her. That was a yeah. particularly great fan moment. But I'm walking the 10 blocks or so back to the, uh, to the Airbnb. And yes, I could have Ubered, but it's New York. You want to walk among the streets, right? You want to be there, and it's 2 a.m. And there was about five blocks by the wharf. I probably shouldn't have been walking by myself. Uh. Suddenly, a guy bursts out of the garbage pile. And he just says, hey, yeah! and he's so angry at me Oh no! and begins to chase me down the streets of New York. Now, I am not like in a full out run because he is kind of walking dead style stumbles. <laughs> so I've uh, picked up my pace a little bit, but I am convinced that, you know, and it's New York. So it's not an empty street by any stretch no. of the imagination. <laughs> this is a full busy street. Walk a block. No problem. He keeps yelling, hey, you, hey, you. And I keep looking, pausing at the crosswalk moments to look back. Oh, is he like fixed on someone else? This laser focus as he's weaving through the crowd. He's going to get me. I can just, I just know. And I'm not overly concerned again because there are restaurants I can turn into. New York is not closed at one time, right? It is very much open for business. And I keep figuring... At the next crosswalk, I'll lose him. Well, he keeps after me, screaming, hey, you, at the top of his lungs for three, four blocks easily. And now I'm starting to get nervous because he's closing the gap. It's like, okay, it's go time. Either I got to duck into an alley or I got to like just sprint for it or I don't know what's going to happen. And he yells, hey, you, and suddenly there's a rustling from another giant pile of garbage and another dude stands up shakes his head loose of the confetti there and says me and these two guys lock eyes and close on each other and start yelling and screaming and they get into it together and now i'm i'm gone and i just feel like 
my reason for being there was to bring these two <laughs> perfect souls together in New York oh, City. Oh, man. I'd like to imagine that they're both uh, aliens from another planet that were lost and you helped them get together again. Well, right? That's why know, he was so confused and, and uh, stumbling so much because he was not used to his new body. Maybe. The sad part is, you know, New York has a lot of people who are living in the liminal spaces. Yes, of course. And so it's, you know, I make a fair amount of light of the whole situation, but it's, you know... He was a desperate person in a desperate situation that didn't really know where they were. Is that you? Somehow I was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Somehow I was the I was the firefly. They were I was the will o' the wisp. They were chasing mm. through the murky woods. So there's a fun New York story for you. Cool. I also ditched out on the show Saturday morning and went looking for Tannen's Magic Shop. Okay. And for people who don't know what that is. Tannen's Magic Shop is the oldest uh, magic shop in New York City. As in, how old is it? Um, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> you can't say the oldest. What is it? Old? Like tw- ten years old? Like? Well, you look that up. Okay, I'll look it up. You, look you it keep up. talking. What I know about it, though, is that um, it has this reputation of being very kind to being a little bit hard to find because it's, uh, you know, it's near. It's near Times Square, but it's not. The building is not labeled. The uh, it's on the sixth floor, and it is down the hallway. And it is not a particularly well-appointed building either. It's not a place where you feel like, oh, this is great. And the elevator is about as much space as this chair I'm sitting in now. Is you just step into this little coffin that brings you up to the sixth floor. Um, but Tannen's Magic Shop is of particular interest to me because. Um, so many of the sort of stage magician community right from the 30s as far as i understand 20s 25 1925 is when it opened have used that and visited there and now i'm not anyone who knows me knows i'm not like big into magic but what i I was gonna ask are you big into magic because well tangentially yeah i love the way that a magician invests a specific moment with a perfect story that you're completely enraptured in and all of your attention is focused on it and yet in telling that story whatever it is whether it's a sleight of hand trick or a misdirection whatever it is um they hold your attention and put it where they want it to be for that short space of time any storyteller anywhere in the world doing any kind of story writing will be served by studying how that works Right? So I wanted to go to the place where, in my opinion, some of the best storytellers on earth mm-hmm. own their craft. Mm-hmm. And so I went to this little shop, and it was really neat because it has this reputation of being friendly to tourists, um, but being really the place you go if you know what you're talking about. So I went in there, and I just sort of didn't open my big mouth, which was strange for me. I just went in there and observed things. And I watched them, you know, show the average tourist these little $40 tricks they could buy and go away with, you know, like a trick coin or a card deck or whatever. But during that same time, someone came into the shop and clearly knew what they were talking about. And when I say that, here's some of the slang. I wrote down, I sat beside, or sat beside the, um, they have a, a library of tricks, which are all sealed. And they range from thousands of dollars to know how a trick works to you know 20 30 bucks you know but um listening to them say words like prediction full view mirror box miscall uh not back pocket oh it's a thumb rider now it was a peak wallet in a mint box right (laughs) this kind of these kind of slang terms where someone from germany who had come in who was also a stage magician is talking to someone else at the shop in a completely other slang language Hmm. that they both have complete understanding of and that it's like being in a screenwriter's room right you know there's all these short hands for what it is you're trying to pull off they have a different set of language for the same kind of um spectacular storytelling and they have all kinds of different gimmicks and ways that they do it just like we do Right. And I'm just I'm fascinated by this whole thing. So I stayed there for at least an hour and a half just listening. Right. And then I bought a couple of things off of the off of the um, off of the tricks library, um, which was a whole other experience to take back these little 
things that were you know bound up hand bound in 1940 and then read some magician's you know explanation of how he does the trick and why it will work and under what conditions are best to make this believable as a story and all of these kinds of things i just it was um it's very it got really famous actually i don't know about five ten years ago when the when lost came out when did lost come out is that 10 years already 2006 because jj abrams talked about the mystery box yeah the mystery box he refers to in that is from Tannen's Magic Shop. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Right, interesting. Um, I like the commu- I like the idea of the community around magic, and the, you have places like the Magic Castle in Los Angeles, yeah. and these different places. It's where just like a comic people, store. People That's go, yeah, like exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah, just like comic book lovers. So these are magic lovers, um, and it, I think that was explored a little bit in the film. Now you see me. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, I haven't. Uh, no. the, the, the second fir- one was pretty terrible yeah this, see, see i was just gonna go i was just not even gonna say that but yeah, yeah there, you're, you're saying no, good things here no no yeah. he's right though the first one is actually a decent movie and it does explore that idea of this magic community and people who are like really into this stuff and it kind of shows the different levels of that um and i do enjoy watching that kind of stuff and, and penn and teller and that yeah. kind of you yeah. know all that fun stuff well, it's the part of me that loves psychology that also loves mm. yeah how magic works because they're they're testing psychological theories a hundred times a day on people, right? And they know what works in practice and certain body language that works. And it was really neat actually to watch the guy who would interact with the tourists. His body language was completely, he was almost like a different character when someone who just came in off the street with their camera around their neck that <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. really wanted to just see versus when someone who knew what they were talking about was there. It was mm. like two distinct human beings. And you might say like, oh, that's disingenuine. And another side of it, the magic shop itself is a stage, right? Mm-hmm. And so the tourist that comes in that wants to tell everyone we met a magician got that experience. And the person that came there wanting to learn more about their craft got a very different experience from the same person. Where are you going, buddy? What was uh, some of your highlights from your trip, Justin, as far as what you did before the con? You got to see New York. Had you been there in that capacity before? I've uh, always, yeah, I've been to New York a couple of times. Uh, I've been doing the show since 2013. And so every, you know, evening after the show, we'd go and see like a little bit of New York. So I've seen enough of Times Square to to not need to see Times Square much anymore. Again, because yeah. Matt, <laughs> I, when I went to New York, that was like the most concentrated, massive humanity I'd ever seen in my Nothing life. Nothing has changed. Yeah, <laughs> just like a mass of people crammed into one space. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we went on a ferry ride, which was great. Oh, cool. We did an Staten Octo- Island ferry, like it's split in half in Spider-Man? No, not oh, that, not that one. one. No, okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I recommend a ferry ride in New York. It's $2.50 to ride the ferry anywhere, and it goes all kinds of places. Uh, Do you get lost on purpose? Was it one of those kind of trips? We got lost because I was confident that we were getting off at the right stop. But what I thought was the Brooklyn Bridge was, in fact, the Manhattan Bridge. <laughs> the Manhattan Bridge is also very nice looking, yeah. but it's not the Brooklyn Bridge. No. So, um, New Yorkers, we apologize for our yeah. ignorance. Um, it's like, that's a cool bridge. We must be here. Nope. It's like a ways down there. Uh, I really like Brooklyn. I wish could have spent a bit more time there. Um, we walked, you know, like 20, 25 kilometers a day and then followed by four days of standing um, <laughs> I when I was coming out of Tannins, I was walking back, and you know I've always wanted to, you know it's a classic thing. You want to ride the New York subway somewhere, right? Yeah. So I went down into the New York subway, and I'm just about to buy a ticket, and I'm thinking to myself, like I don't know where I'm going or where I would go. Can I just buy a token and get on and get lost somewhere? So I have this romantic notion in my mind that wherever I get on, wherever I get off, I can just you know if I'm too far, I'll just Uber home. Like it's. There's no real risk, right? Right, is what I'm thinking. So I explain this to the old lady that is like standing beside me, queuing to get the Metro Pass thing, and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm just gonna get lost in the New York subway. And she turns and looks at me with these steely eyes and just says to me, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that this old lady is like, don't do it, son. Don't do it. It actually, I was like, okay, I guess I'll go back to the show then. <laughs> Just go to Coney Island or something. Yeah, that's what I thought. But it was just this moment. <laughs> Don't do it. Oh, wow. that's fun. I yeah. Would... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say I did that as well when I was in New York. Just hopped on the subway to go somewhere, and it just it it just was a straight. 
uptown to, to downtown. That was it. I didn't do anything crazy, like Nothing go crazy. out to the boroughs or anything like that. I just kept... No scenes from the Warriors? No, no, no. <laughs> or, uh, no, sorry, Adventures in Babysitting in Chicago. It's another subway scene on there. But, yeah, no, it sounds like a, um, overall it was a great trip, very fruitful and, and uh, beneficial to you guys. I think so, yeah. yeah. Shout out to uh, Jeremy Holt, uh, who I met there. He's the writer of After Houdini and Skip to the End. We became, I think, fast friends. When cool. We were at the show too. So, uh, how do you meet these people? How do you meet Jeremy? Uh, well, he is doing a project with Comic Stream, and so oh, okay. Comic Stream had a mixer party um, to let all the creatives that they had brought out to the show kind of get to know each other. And so that's how I met him. I actually met his uh, partner Elizabeth um, Elizabeth Waller, who is a photographer first. Um, and she had been interacting with the app and just wanted to know like what the hell Arena City was about. And so we got on really well and then she introduced me to Jeremy. And then uh, I didn't actually know he was connected to Comic Stream until like hours later. We just oh, okay. were talking about other stuff. And then that's how you get to know people in these kinds of scenarios is be open to talking about not work. I right. It's an important yeah, step. Yeah, you have to connect with people on a level other than just what you do for a living. Yeah. Um, now, you, um, you, you, we already kind of discussed the different ways in which you were at this convention. Are you going to, when you go back to New York, are you going to go back there ever as Justin did and display your work and have yes. a table? You yeah. will go back and there I've for done that reason? When I started, when I went to New York the first time, that's what I did. I okay. went with the booth. I put the flags up, essentially, you know, here's my work, here's my books, here's what I'm capable of doing. And I left that show with a ton of work the next year. Then the work I got from New York meant I was too busy to go back the year after. Right. And then the work that came out the year after that was the Baby Metal book. And I came to promote that book. And promoting that connected me to some other things. And uh, But I think the way the cycle is going to work, the publishing cycle, means that next year I can be there again with a booth. Okay. You'll have to apply. Yes. Well, <laughs> I there's another, there's another thing that goes on there is if you have work that you're debuting at New York Comic Con, then some of the people who are arranging small press give you some preferential treatment because you are making that announcement. Like Comic Stream, for example, they came late to the party as far as quote unquote applying to New York City Comic Con, but they had something that other people didn't have. And so it would change the experience of the attendee. Ergo, they were given a pretty great spot. And, and Justin, you're, are you ever, like, you're always going to have a table there? Or are you ever going to go there in the capacity so, of Greg? You'll have to pry it from his cold dead hands. Well, you, if when you I give started, up your space, you, yeah. you lose it, right? Is that what? So or when right? I started out, I started out in Artist Alley. And it's uh, juried there. And they're looking for, like, in my... In my opinion, the New York Artist Alley is one of the most boring ones <laughs> I look at. Um, so funny. We have such different eyes on this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. when I'm in Artist Alley, I'm looking for the experience of the shop that they've built, right? And in New York, it's a lot of famous names and nothing on the table other than their name. So I don't really give them a Pe second people look. People bring them the work that they sign, right? Yeah, is that what exactly. It is? Yeah. So you, you're not buying merchandise no. from the artist. You're bringing the merchandise you've already purchased. Yeah, yeah. Artist Alley in Toronto is like a whole bunch of um, artists in, making Toronto, a name for themselves. No, but I'm saying in oh. Toronto, oh, making yeah. a name for themselves. Right. In, in New York, they've already made their name. They don't have anything to prove to It's anybody. half a guest alley, and then the artists who are there, um, I think it's fairly constrained what they're allowed to do. Mm -hmm. So they have fairly small tables and fairly small setups. And um, I just, this year, Seattle and Denver artist alleys like knocked me off my feet how great they were. And then coming to New York and San Diego and just being so, like, I don't know, deflated after going through artist alley, it's just kind of disappointing. Whereas... You know, in my misspent youth, I ran a comic book store. And so, like, seeing every name of every person of a book yeah. I ever sold lined up in New York Comic Con's Artist Alley is different than, like you say, when we were in Seattle, for example, people have their, you know, their, I call it the flags, right? Like, their work is on display so that you can follow And also, love. there's such a range of style, and there's stuff I've never seen before, and I've added so many artists to, like, people I watch now. And yeah, you're right. Marvel and in, DC yeah. house style rules artist alley. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah it's, yeah, yeah. it's okay. a lot of the same thing. So yeah. they're incredibly talented people, just not for me. So, mm -hmm. um, anyway, so I didn't get into artist alley the second year I applied to it, and I think part of it had to do with my style was a little bit more of a fringe style, and they 
thought they had enough of that. So in a last-minute panic, I was able to get into small press because that was the year that Cassie and Tonk came out. So I was able to get a 10 by, and no, it's like a 6 by 8 corner. Yeah, they call it a 10 by 10. Yeah, it it's really not. <laughs> um, in small press. And I was there for a handful of years, and it was an okay spot, but it's in a, a part of the convention where the ceiling is a lot lower and the lighting is a lot darker. And it's just kind of a... It's a waypoint. Like, people are just kind of traveling through there, but it's not much of a destination. Um, I was kind of making a name for myself around Comic-Cons, and especially with Reed Pop, who owned New York and owned Seattle and Chicago, and started becoming a familiar face to all the organizers. Um, so two years ago, I applied for a 10 by 20 on the main floor, which is extraordinarily hard to get. But because I'd put in, you know, since You're 2013, I put, put in my time and I knew the right faces and knew the right names. I was able to get one. So now that I have a 10 by 20, I think like the first two days of the show, every friend of mine that also had a booth there started the conversation with like, screw you for getting that spot. I want one. <laughs> It's true. It's and true. now you can't give it up. I'll yeah. never give never. it up. Okay. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. He's going to will it to his children. It'll be, <laughs> passed. Right. It'll be passed on. But I mean, you know, there's this upstairs, downstairs kind of vibe at New York. Which Hong is Kong. temporary as well. Yeah. Um, they're, they're rebuilding the Javits Center to some degree. So Artist Alley was always separate from the main floor. It was always in another room. Um, it used to be in a really big, nicely lit room. Um, like a five-minute walk away, and then that room is now destroyed. It no longer exists as they're building a new convention center and its place. So now it's in the basement, um, and I think eventually, yeah, eventually it's going to be one big room, back, yeah. or I hope so. Who knows? I hope so. Um, what? But, go ahead. <laughs> We've talked about it a couple of times before, but how do you feel about separating the show up with artists and exhibitors like Bad that? Idea. It should be mixed. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and as somebody who's never really been to a giant show like this, I mean, yeah. I think you just put up, make every, put every, it's hard because you want people to find their way around and to find the people they want to find. But a lot of it is just wandering around and seeing what catches your eye, right? So you get, give everyone an equal chance and you mix everybody together. And know that I'm saying this like without hesitation from the perspective of an attendee, someone who yeah, is that's what I'm saying, coming yeah. to the show. To the people who are in Artist Alley, they want to be around a high concentration of their friends and colleagues. It makes exhibiting better and more fun. So I get it. But to the attendee who is the first time that they can accidentally come upon a new piece of work, there's, it's, you, know, you should shuffle it, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. right? that's, yeah. just my, uh, that's my two cents. I'm sure we could talk forever about New York Comic Con, and maybe we already have. We'll, Mike, we'll probably episode. remember some points that we'll yeah. bring up next episode. Um, but Are we getting close to 100? We're getting really yeah, close. Yeah, this is episode number 92. 92. Whoa. So, yeah. For our 100th episode. Hot wings. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes! Yes! Hot wing. You bet. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm Gregory Kamichuk, and I'm encouraging you to join the fight and make comics. Thank you.